me playing was it was just a dream. It's Patrice Evra. Growing up, he's a family, 24 brothers and sister, one breast chicken was for three days. Growing up in the street, you need to survive. Now when I have those images in my head, I could hear him trying to touch me and touching himself in the same time next to the bed, you know. You know, I was even attaching my pyjama with my shoelaces because to make sure like he can't put it down. And uh, one day he did, and I was just like terrorized. So that's the things I grew up with, like, you know, I can't cry. For me, crying was a sign of weakness. When I do a video and I see a comment, someone say, oh, Patrice, my dad passed away. I watch one of your videos and I smile. Thank you. This is more important for me than win the Champions League or the Premier League. I'm not perfect and I don't want to be perfect. I want to be me. Patrice Evra. I've just sat here with him for an hour and a half. And at the very end of the conversation, he said something which I think is the perfect description of the man. He referred to himself as an iceberg. I followed him for almost two decades and he was, to me, this football icon, this tough guy, this defender, this champion. But as he says in this conversation, the part of the iceberg that I never got to see was the most compelling, was the most heartbreaking and was the most interesting. He grew up in a rough part of France with 24 brothers and sisters. He was sexually abused by his head teacher. His brother, a drug addict, overdosed and died. His mother raised him in total poverty to the point where he stole his food, his shoes, and his entertainment. He endured an early upbringing that you would never wish on any child, an enemy, or anyone at all in any circumstances ever. And he hid it all. He hid it all for his entire life. And only recently has he found it within himself after very personal conversations with his mother to share it with the world. And only today on this podcast has he decided to share some of those heartbreaking details. After watching him on TV for almost two decades, I thought I knew Patrice Evra, this comedian, football champion, Funny guy, happy guy. I was wrong. All I knew was the tip of the iceberg. So without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is the Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. I've sat here with a lot of guests. And sometimes I feel obliged to start with their childhoods because it seems like the the foundation of most people, specifically successful people, tends to be the case that the things they go through at an early age, especially with my sort of little background in childhood psychology, tend to shape them the most. But when I read your story in your book, that's just come out, um, having watched you on screen as a Manchester United fan for many, many a decade and seen subsequently the guy you were on Instagram, the the hilarious, entertaining person, I never, ever would have guessed, ever, that that was your upbringing, that was your childhood. I would have guessed 
by the person that I came to know on screen, by the person that I watched on Instagram, I would have guessed the opposite. Take me back to before you were 10 years old, because I know that 10 years old was a really pivotal moment in your life because your father left. Yeah. What was life like before 10? He was an happy, happy child. A lot of people inside the house. Sometimes you have to make sure like you're ready when mom say the the food is ready. (laughs) Uh, it was like sleeping with two of my siblings in the same bed, a single bed. And, you know, two was sleeping that way and one on that way. Sometimes it was like some smelly fit, but we need space. And it was all about like sharing. But I will tell you something. I, I was happy. You know, even if I was like begging in front of shop, you know, to buy a sandwich, I couldn't say in that time I wasn't happy. I was like the most happy child. But it was like tough. And maybe sometimes I was just uh, unconscious. But of course, I think when my dad left, that's when I was like, okay, I'm not scared of anyone in this house. So now I have to grow up on my own. And that's when I was like, I would say more close to the street. Because when my dad was here, you know, just when I was saying like, dad, I want to go and play outside with my friend. He was like, did you, have you done your homework? Even I swear, even if I did my homework, I was scared to say yes. So when you say yes to him, he was like, okay, bring me your your book. And I remember it was like, okay, which lesson you have to learn tomorrow? And I was like doing the lesson perfectly. And he was going to the first page of the book and saying like, okay, tell me about this. And I couldn't remember. I was like, yeah, but dad, we did this at the beginning. You know, (laughs) this is like, okay, when you learn your full book, then you will be able to go outside. So my dad, when he was at home, we didn't miss anything. You know, we have food on the table. Everything was perfect. I, I had like a big screen TV. I remember we are one of the first family in where I, I grew up in my street to have that big screen and all my friends, they come. So I, I, I couldn't, I will never complain when my dad was here. He did his job perfectly. But the only things, you know, my dad uh, teach me uh, crying is a weakness. So when he was like punishing someone and you cry, that's when you're going to, you're going to beat you even more. So that's the things I grew up with, like, you know, I can't cry. And that's where we can talk about that toxic masculinity. They understand crying is normal. But for me, crying was a sign of weakness. Why did he leave? <sighs> he left because my mom divorced him. Uh, and sometimes he was, uh, it was violent. With her, and I remember, you know, being kids, and no one asked me these questions. That's why I'm a little bit emotional. And and you know, my mom was like, no one man can raise his hand on me. So she divorced. He had to leave. You know, she went to the police, and uh, and he had to go. And it was a tough moment because you know when you see your dad leaving. No matter if you know the reason, he shouldn't have done that. Uh, leave, same taking all the sofa, the, the the big TV, the big screen. He was with a big trunk waiting for him, and we were all of my brother and sister crying because you know it's your dad. But at the same time, what he was doing to my mom, he wasn't right. So did you witness that? Yeah, I think like you know, sometimes we try to open the door, and uh, if you open that door. You know, it was uh, it was really scary, you know. And if you, when you heard your mom, like, fighting back, because to be fair, my mom, she's a strong woman. 
you know, and my dad, uh, he say that now, he say like, don't play with your mom because she's a strong woman. So in, in that time, yeah, when you experience that, you, you just terrorize, you like, what's, what's going on? You know, it's your parents. They should like kiss each other. So, yeah. And you look back on that moment, he left. Obviously, incredibly sad moment. But are you happy that he left, considering? The problem, you know, when you're a kid, you, you don't really understand. I was happy because my mom, at the end, you know, she was, uh, she was happy. But to see your dad left, leaving, no matter which reason, you can't be happy. Uh, now I understand the reason. Uh, I forgive him. But uh, saying I was happy, no. So he leaves. Your life takes a, a turn after that because you've lost that figure in your life and maybe a bit of, I don't know, restriction has yeah. left the family home. So you can act on other motivations and incentives and other ways to survive, I guess. And what, what, what's the, what person did you become after that? I would say a warrior, like... A warrior? Yeah. I think a survivor. Because after, like I say, you know, it's you in the street. And, oh, oh, I kill you or you kill me. You know, when you grow up in the street. That's why I hate when some people, they talk about their background and they say like, oh, I was a gangster. No, I would never call myself a gangster. I was just a survivor. And it was difficult, you know. So, yeah, like you say, when he left, no more restriction, going out, fighting outside, lying to your mom, uh, the police, you know, bring me one day home around 1 a.m. My mom was so worried, like, and I remember it was so funny because some words, I didn't even know what they mean. So when they bring me back home and my mom was, you know, just, she put her, uh, like a hand on his mouth, what's going on? She was, you know, his, his son, you know, bring back from the police. And I was like, mommy, I'm just being an accomplice. <laughs> and she beat me like so bad. But now I understand it's even worse, you know, because I was like, I didn't steal. I just was looking when my friend was stealing and stuff like that. So it was just a mess. And uh, no one... Even my school teacher, when they were talking to me at school, I was like, can you put the volume down? You're not my dad. So I didn't let anyone, you know, talking like saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. But I always respect my mom uh, and my brother and my sister. And I was, uh, I was respectful with my friend, but when someone tried to give me some authority, he couldn't have it because I was like, the one... I have like the most authority on me. It was my dad. He left. So now I don't need any authority from no one. And you get, you start, I read you started stealing things. Yeah. You started selling weed. Yeah. I think stealing was, uh, was normal because I was like with my friend. I remember the first time I, I steal, it was uh, some gum. And, you know, I was hanging up with my friend. They were stealing. I wasn't because I was still like having a good education for my dad, for my mom. And to be part of the group, you need to, you know, it's like some people when they drink, because they, they, they find that excuse to be like social. So it was stealing. So I started steal, and everyone clapped me. So I was like, wow, finally I'm part of the gun. 
And from there, he go like to deal like video games, uh, to sell weed, you know, to having the best like sneakers and, you know, even offering some stuff to your girlfriend. I offer even like a perfume to my mom, you know, and I was so proud because I was like, at the end, you know, my dad left. A few of my brother and sister left after that also. So I was like, I'm the man. I need to be in charge. I need to feed my family. It wasn't the right way every time. But at least I was like, you know, my mom, like when I offer him like a bottle of perfume and I see how happy she was, but she was like always, where that come from? And I was like lying. You know, it's just my friend, you know, he, he bought it for me. But I was me, he was myself stealing it. Some years after your father left, you, you did you talk about in the book, in the opening chapters of the book, about your headmaster. Yeah. And you were 13 years old. You, um, you ended up staying at his house and he sexually assaulted you. Yeah. I think... This is was one of the most regret I had in my life to not speak up in that day. Um, How did you come to be at his house? It's really simple. It's because uh, Brittany, it was far from my house. I have to take two trains to go to school because I went to that school because it was a school where, you know, you're good at football. You, after school, you have to train. So it wasn't an academy, but it was a school where you can train also. So it was a good opportunity. To be fair, my mom was like, it's, it's good. He's, he's leaving the street because he will end up in jail or dead. So it's perfect for him. So I, I went there and I was taking like, you know, two train, four hours sometime and uh, losing my, uh, my school bag, sleeping on the train, you know, even sometime end up like to another destination. So it was a mess. And uh, that school teacher, Ed's teacher, he, he speak to me, he said, do you want like to stay? Because I live in, I'm living inside the, the, the school. He have his home inside the school. So I went back home and I say to my mom, you know, he offered that. And my mom was like, not sure about it at the beginning, because even when I tell her, I would speak later about it. She, she said, I knew it. And she was like, are you sure? Can you trust this man? I was like, yeah, he, he seemed nice, mom. So... That head teacher at the beginning, everything was perfect. He was uh, cooking for me in the evening. He was letting me play his Nintendo. He had the Nintendo at the time. So I was like, yeah, that's that's cool. You know, I don't need to go back home on the weekend and uh, I just stay here. And uh... Then every night I was in my bed and uh, every time he was coming, you know, in my room and I was the first time I was like, maybe, you know, you just say, come to say goodnight. But he was, uh, I was sleeping and I was feeling a hand on my body. And I was like, oh, what's going on, you know? Then he was trying to touch me, but I was like holding his hand. So it was like a fight for, for 10 minutes. Uh, and I was still couldn't understand. I was 13, but, you know, I, I didn't have any uh, sexual relation, even with uh, any girls at that time. So for me, it was everything was new. I was like, what's, what's going on, you know? Um, we fight many times and he didn't succeed. And he was, you know, now when I have those images in my head, I could hear him trying to touch me and touching himself in the same time next to the bed, you know? Then he was leaving and every time I was like, oh, it's gone. So he's, he started to become a ritual. Every time I go to bed, 
they're coming. The same things, fight, everything, fight, fight. And uh, one day, you know, I was even attaching my pyjama with my la laces. Like I remember- shoe because, laces. Yeah, shoelaces. Because to make sure like he can't put it down. And uh, to be fair, you know, he was trying like on the top of my clothes, but fighting. So, so one day he did. He put my pants down and he put uh, my penis in his mouth. And I was just like terrorized. I remember I was, I, I just freeze. You know, I knock his head, but I, and after, I, I just freeze. I, I couldn't, I didn't understand what's going on. Then he left. Then I wake up. I can't even remember what's happened because, you know, those things, you just like erase them from your memory. So I back to school. I think in school I was thinking about what's, what's happened. It's like something normal. Then, then I went home. I said, mom, I don't want to sleep anymore to that head teacher. She said, why? I said, no, I just don't want. I never tell her the reason until now. So after that, I, I live all my life with that. From the street, you know. You come back, you're like, imagine you tell that to one of your friends. They're going to say, you know, you're weak, all of those stuff. So even for me, when I had my first sexual relation, it, it was weird because I had this man in my head. You know, and this, I never told that to anyone. So I was like massively traumatized. Then actually, because all of that, I back to my school where I grew up in the street and I stopped even going to that school. Even like people were like, but you're so good at football. Why? I said, I don't need it. I will keep training on my own on the street. You know, I don't want to be in that school anymore. So yeah, I grew up with that things for so many years. And what I feel as a coward is when I was 24 years old, not 20 years old, and I was still playing for Monaco at the time. And the police called me. Hi, Mr. This is the number of Patricia. Yeah. Um, you know, we got a lot of complaint about that a teacher. I don't even remember his name. I don't, I could even tell you his face because I erased all of this in my memory. Uh, it's been a lot of complaint about child being abused about that a teacher. Did he touch you? No. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. And I was angry even when people asked me that question. You know, I was like, oh, there. Someone asked me about that. Put the phone down. So all this year, I was like, wow, Patrice. You had the opportunity when you were 13 years old. You didn't. I will understand. But now you're 20 and you couldn't. Just what? Because you're still shame of it. Because you're famous. You're scared of the reaction of the people. But doing that, that day, and that's why growing up, when people say, Patrice, you're good guys, I, I wasn't feeling that, that way because I was feeling as a coward. A coward. A coward, yeah. Because he wasn't about Patrice. It was about the other child I let down when the police called me. It's about the other child that's still being abused right now. So coming out with this helped me a lot. And I have to say a massive thanks to the woman of my life, Margot, because 
you know, sometimes people say you need a psychologue, but in life, sometimes it's about which person you meet. I'm someone I really believe in energy. And to be fair, after that, trusting anyone, a psychologue, I would say, maybe I will tell him this, he don't care. He's just pay for that job. Some of them are really good. I never, I never meet any psychologue, but me, that woman, like. She was a, a romantic partner? Yeah. She, she, she make me being myself and being honest with myself. Don't be shame of anything, baby. And I'm here. And I will never, me, Patrice, the tough guys, <laughs> don't show emotion. Think a woman can, you know, extract those real emotion from myself. I was like, wow. So 40 years old. There was a day you told, you shared that with her? Yeah. Can you tell me about that day? Like I said, the day I shared that with her, it was, uh, you know, when she met me, I was 38. So I was just uh, retired from football, doing all my things. And she said, oh my God, you, you seem so happy and such a positive man. But I, do you care about yourself, Patrice? I said, yeah. And she asked me one simple question. Are you happy? <laughs> yes, I'm happy. I'm happy, you know. I make you happy. I make my, but Patrice, what make you happy? Uh, I'm happy. No, I, just saying like, I'm happy. This is not an answer. So she go deep. And I, we didn't talk about the subject. I say, no, I'm fine. She said, no, because I can see, yes, you're an impulsive person. You like to fight. You say, because this from the street and everything. But I think you got something. You got a pain on your chest and you don't want, I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Then one day, we watched something and it was about pedophile and stuff. So again, she looked at my face. She said like, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. Why you ask me? No. Patrice, I feel you. You're hiding something. I said, why? Why you? You know, I don't like when people want to try inside go to get inside i'm fine i was still closing the door if you love me you should like tell me what's going on i need to i need to know really i look at her i just try crying like a baby i cry like a baby she hugged me what's going on and i tell her the full story so she cried she was like i knew Thank you. Have you say that to someone, to the police, to your mom? I said, no, you are the first person. And I don't want to say it to anybody else. Do you want to see a, uh, do you go for, do you want to go for therapy? And I said, I'm fine. I told you. No, Patrice, you're going to explode one day. You need to, you know, let it out. Then when I cry and, uh, I feel much better about myself. And I was still like, you know, I cry in front of her. Now she will take advantage of me. She will think I'm weak. But she was like, you know, baby, I, I even love you more. This is a strain. Stop thinking this is a weakness. That's when she introduced me to that toxic masculinity. Couldn't understand before. She explained me what it was about. Like being a man is not like being strong or 
I was like, this is my education. This is the way I grow up. This is why the dad, like many dads, they do the same mistake. And I did the same with my first child, Benny. Sometimes he was talking to me. I was like, you got everything. Why you complain? Come on. Ah, daddy, you know, when I was doing this, come on, don't be weak. Ah, daddy, you know, it's painful. Ah, it's okay. But when I think about all of that, now I'm like, because I live with that toxic masculinity. And I think men like us have to change that. Crying is a strain. And you know, when you grow in the streets, just like holding the hand of your girlfriend is a sign of weakness. You're not allowed to do that. So I'm discovering myself. <clears throat> Who's going to believe that I'm 38 years old, now I'm 40, I will start to discover myself. Now everything makes sense. That trauma make me become who I am. Like sometimes a soldier, like no emotion. I'm going to do the job. Sometimes I win some trophy. We celebrate. It was fake. I didn't, I wasn't like that happy. If you ask me, Patrice, are you happy now? I say yes. Now I'm complete. I'm content. I feel blessed and I feel lucky. But when I used to play football, I was a robot. I was just doing my job. Your brother. You talked about the fact that you started dealing drugs back when you were younger and then your, your brother started taking drugs. Yeah. This was a, another massive trauma. You know, when you wake up in the, in the morning and you just want to go in the toilet, and you open the door and you see your, your brother with, uh, you know, uh, an, uh, how you say it? As, a needle. A needle, yeah. And looking at you with like eyes, you know, like red eyes and just closing the door. And you have to hold on your, your you know, if you want to pee, you have to hold it because it's there. And it was one toilet, the whole house. So, And this teach me to never touch any drug because I saw my brother and he lost his life because of that. He lost his life. He died as an overdose in Senegal. He even sell his, uh, his document, his French passport. And he went in Senegal and one day they called my mom. My auntie said, your son is dead in a bathroom. So it was tough for me to talk about this in my book because my mom, she's the son of my mom and I don't have the right to talk about it in my book because we're talking about a dead person. But I just, unfortunately, this show me like taking drug, I can lose my life. Like the same for alcohol. Uh, I didn't drink until I was 33 years old. Because for me, a glass of alcohol, it was the homeless people living on my street. And anyway, my mom and my dad don't drink. So I never had that culture. So that's why I couldn't understand when I came in England and people were drinking, even like footballer players. And, you know, when we were going to party, they were always say to the waitress, can we have a hot chocolate for Patrice? Because hmm. the alcohol and the drugs, it was like, you're going to end up dead, poison, you know. You um, So going back to this topic of to toxic masculinity, it's yeah. something I've actually been thinking a lot about because my girlfriend, funnily enough, has started to talk to me a lot about the idea. This is why I was just remaining quiet and listening first, but... But um, she started talking to me a lot about the idea of the masculine and the feminine and how uh, a rounded, healthy man 
embodies both sides of him and is able to tap into both sides of him. Sounds like your early years um, made you use one of those sides, which is the masculine side as a form of self-defense in many ways, as a way to survive. Because I'm, th- I'm hearing what you went through and I'm thinking, the, you know, using the feminine energy, the, the emotion, the expression of, uh, you know, one's, how someone feels, care, the softness, wouldn't have been conducive with survival in that situation. So as you get 40 years on, how do you then unlearn your survival technique? How do you, how do you unlearn the, the masculine defensive, don't cry, don't show weakness, which you now know is, is um, important for you to have good relationships, romantic relationships, to be balanced yourself, to be open, to be expressive and to not self-destruct? What I love about you is the way you question myself. You even make me think. But you're right. If I have this feminine, you know, emotion in that time, I won't survive. Because uh, we know women are more emotional than, than men. <clears throat> so what you just say to me, I'm like, yeah, Patrice, <clears throat> you want to fight against that uh, toxic masculinity, but you're happy when you need it. <clears throat> now, because you're 40 years old, you don't need it anymore. And you're a dad now, so you're going to teach. You're going to teach, kids. but I'll be honest with you. That's why... You know, my woman was scared when we have our, our son. Uh, she was like, Patrice, before he born, I don't want him to be like you. Wow. <laughs> she put that on my face. What do you mean? Yeah, I want him to be determined, passion, funny, positive. But I don't want him to have your emotion. Or lack like of. Yeah. I was like, but I think, you know, when he cry, I will say like, no, don't cry. She was, that's exactly what I'm talking about. When he cry, I want you to say, it's okay. Let your emotion out. But it's difficult for me at the beginning. So I was like, nah, I won't. I, I don't want him to cry when he fall and everything. And the funny part is when she was still pregnant, uh, you know, when woman... This is more about relationship because now I know relationship is not just about love. It's about caring and communication. You know, I don't want to be like now the, the priest or because when I talk like this, so many people like that. Oh, I wish my husband is like you. No, I've been the bad guys too. Mm-hmm. So don't give me wrong. But now I'm more like feeling like, so back to that moment, we were in the car she was with a, a drink and I said, don't drink because it's bumpy and you're going to, sp- and she hate like, you know, having Mark on her. She drink, pop, pull on the shirt. Yes, spit on the shirt. She cry. I promise you, Steve, I cry instantly with her because I feel her. I feel a, 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 a sadness. The, the whole Patrice will be like, but come on. Why are you crying just because you speak common? But in that moment, I didn't, I wasn't focused on the, the reason why she's crying. I was like, just on the emotion, she's crying. She's in pain. <laughs> you don't need to fix it. She need a hug. The moment she saw me crying, she stopped crying. She stopped crying straight away. And for me, it was new. I was like, what's going on? I can even feel your pain. You know, sometimes you say you love someone, but this is like a deep love. Like even now, she cry, I cry automatically. Even now, we're talking and when she's next to me, I miss her. 
I never experienced that. Mm. And now it's so special. So co to come back to uh, my son, when he cry now, you know, my woman can be, oh, come on, Lilas. Oh. I'm like, but it's okay. You know, it must be a reason it's because he's angry. So I'm the one softer now. Mm. So that's what I'm like, wow. But <laughs> you're just a different man. We had a rule. If we argue, because don't give me wrong, we argue like normal couple. We're not special. But it's just like we don't put it under the carpet. We fix it. But not like we force it in a natural way. <laughs> When, for example, we argue straight away and she say, we need to talk because women say, we need to talk. I'm not ready. We need to talk. I'm not. No, give me my space. Then I come back. Okay, let's talk about it. I'm apologize. But I'm apologize because I mean it. Mm. Not because you force me to apologize. And you're not trying to win. I'm not trying to win. And then I understand. I'm like, okay, baby, how lucky we are. The special love we have right now. Like, I will never believe the way I believe in love right now. That's why I'm encouraging all the kids, the next generation, this love exists. But it exists. So the, it's again, you, you, it sounds like you're just recounting my life. Specifically over, I met, I met a lady. She's called, uh, well, I won't say it, Melanie. <laughs> and yes, uh, she, she was very keen. She said very similar things to me. She was like, there's something you've not told me about, et cetera. And her real sort of drive with me has been trying to make me tap into the feminine side of me, which again means opening up, being vulnerable, removing my ego. Yeah, when we argue, it's to try and solve a, a problem as opposed to trying to win. And that also, and she slowly got this different person out of me. In my previous relationship, snapping, ah, leave, I'll just leave, right? Yeah. And in this one, it's like, she lets me speak. I let her speak. Okay, sometimes we, but we're both trying to, understand the person and the thing that really changed it it's funny because when you talked about that day when you opened up with your partner about what had gone on she created a safe space and once you have that safe space and you learn that this is a safe space this relationship is a safe space oh, yes. you don't have to be that person you were in the streets <laughs> right you don't even have to be the person you are in the group chat on whatsapp you can cry <laughs> you can say babe i i feel insecure i feel triggered oh. and that for me has been this like tremendous catalyst in myself because now I can in really investigate myself with someone right and know that they're not gonna laugh at me or think I'm not a man yeah because I'm crying or because <laughs> I'm I've got feelings right and that that meant that again when you just described the way you feel about her the sense like when she's not by your side you, you didn't know a love like this existed I was saying that this morning I've just left her in Indonesia and I was saying I didn't realize I could have a relationship like this with someone where every argument we have heals our relationship to a stronger place. It doesn't leave a scratch or a scar, which, and that's the thing, you know? But it, you, you resume it perfectly. And like you say, sometimes when we have a discussion, like we, our love even get even more stronger. Stronger, right? Because we are in love with each other. But what I like, what you say, a word, safe. Yeah, safe space. It's a safe space. Feeling safe. Yeah. yeah. Allow to be yourself. I'll say that to my girlfriend now. So I'll say, this sounds like, I've never said this before, but what I'll literally say to her, I need a safe space. And that means that I'm about to say some things which might trigger you, might make you unhappy, but Being I need yourself. to say it because it's how I feel. Yeah. So I'll literally say, give me a safe space. Yeah. And that means listen to me. But it, but you exactly, know? you know, I think it's, it, it's easy to, to listen to someone, but to understand the person, you know, mm. to saying, I heard you, mm. this is different. 
Yeah. It means you really understand. Uh, yeah. Because you can talk for many hours. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm listening. Yeah. I'm you're not you're waiting to speak. <laughs> you're building your, your argument against No, them, but right? yeah. but but exactly. But what you say, I think we're really similar. Mm. And mm. I, I was excited to come today. Mm. And I'm even more happy to be here and to keep like talking. We can it's talk, so I think, many hours. Yeah. And I just feel like so open, even mm. talking about you. You ask me a few questions about why my dad lived, many mm. things. Like, <laughs> it mm. was not easy to not cry, but mm. I like that. But this is something, this is something that men need to hear. And you think about just from what we've both learned from our stories there with relationships, but just even two men having a conversation like this, how, how freeing that is for us, how it's healing for us, but also it allows us to form relationships yeah. which are real and deep and meaningful where we don't want to be running out in the street. And so I, it's, you know, it's one of the real things I think is going to form a big part of, of my life too, as you've successfully done with this book is trying to tell men without having to meet the women like we met, mm. how to be in touch yeah. with the, the true, I don't even want to say the feminine side, the, 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 the full version of themselves. I absolutely, I, I think yeah. I, I, no, but I, I absolutely agree with you because it's a challenge because we have a little help because mm. we find someone, like you say, we feel open and we can, you know, you can be your, yourself, but yeah, I think we, we should fight with that toxic masculinity because it's not good even for yourself, but even for your children for mm. many, for many reasons. But the, you test me by saying, Patrice, if you didn't have that masculine, you know, masculinity, tox toxic masculinity, how you will be able to survive in that when you were that kid? And I will be look at you straight away and saying no. So it's a good subject. And I hope if you want to <laughs> debate more about it, I, uh, I will be a good client. <laughs> mm. Either way, we have to unlearn it, right? We have to unlearn yeah. it once we realize that it's not serving us. And that is admittedly a very slow process. Yeah. One that goes, you know, because even I, some, I have to be very aware of that part of me, the masculine ego part of me. And I always think with trauma and with these kinds of things, you never actually fully recover. I, I think the most important thing is to put it out in front of you so that it's no longer controlling your life from the back room yeah. Yeah. and ruining your relationships and stuff. Just for me, like I've got a lot of traumas from my childhood with my parents and the, their relationship. I still have them. And, and I just have them out in front of me and the power they have over me is diminished. I know what the triggers are. I know, I understand them and I just want to keep them out in front of me so I can hopefully live a, a happy life. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. Football. <laughs> Bit of a segue. Um... 
you're very good at football. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what, like how you became so good at football with all of that stuff happening in your life and that culture you're in and what football was for you as a young man. I was everything. So football saved my life. When my friend, they were stealing, to get away from the stealing, I was like training on my own, even when it was snowing. But come on, Patrice, you're never going to, to succeed anywhere. You're from the street. You, you're, uh, you're a black person. You will never gonna make it, you know, just find a white girlfriend with a lot of money. That was the, the way the people, yeah, think in my street. Uh, stop, you know, you look cute. You can just find a girl. And, you know, I was like, no, you know, I love football and I need to training every day. I remember even at school, sometime when the, we went to school and the teacher couldn't make it because of the traffic or the snow. And they were like, okay, we're free. Some kids, they were wanted to go back home. I was like, no, no, no. It's a football pitch just next to the school we have to play. And I was threatening them. Sometimes they couldn't. Like some kid, I was like, if you don't come, I'm going to beat you. And they were coming and training. Yeah, I was forcing people to play football with me. Why? It's an addiction. I don't know. It was my reason of living. Is it your escape from that I, life? I, I think I could say it was both. It was my escape, but it was also my love, my passion. Just when you give me like a football ball, it was like everything for me, you know. I remember that a teacher, the first day you, you come at school and they ask what you want to become later. And many people were lawyers, uh, policemen, uh, many good job doctor. And and me, she was looking right, um, reading what I was, my note and footballer player. But I didn't even know what was footballer player. I was like, I, I play football, but so I'm footballer player. And she was taking my note in front of everyone. And she was like, Patrice, think footballer player is a job. <laughs> and everyone was laughing. Everyone, my friend, I was looking so... And she was going even deeper. She was, uh, but you know, if it's a trial and 300 kids, they will pick one kid. Do you think it's going to be you? I was like, yes. And everyone was even more laughing. But at the end now, I don't want to get any revenge with that teacher. I just want to make sure she don't say the same things to other kids. Because me in that time, I was really strong mentally. So no one you know, can project their own fear. Because some people, I hate those people when you say, I'm going to this. No, you can't. Because they try to project their own failure on you. Me now, if a kid, I was, you know, I see some, some, some kid at the school in Manchester. And I was like, if you want to become the president of the universe, go for it. You're going to have lot of enemies and make a lot of sacrifices. There's no president of the universe. Producer. I know it doesn't exist. That's what I mean. But that's what I mean. I'm like, the, even though like the job doesn't exist, go for it. Go for it. If you dream about it. And that's, that's what's the beauty of me when I was child. Like everyone, like I did a trial at PSG and I did everything perfect. At the end, he say, you're too small. And you're from the street and we're scared you're going to steal things in the dressing room. Yeah. That's PS why the PSG. Coach, PSG. That's what the coach told me. And they didn't take me just for those two Fuck, reasons. You know. <laughs> so, so I have a lot of like, you won't make it. And more people do that, more I'm like, that's why I say I'm lucky mentally. I can't tell you why I'm that strong. Maybe about from my dad, my mom or all the things that I have to survive. But this was even making me more stronger. Did you have a plan B? No. I didn't have any plan B. This was all or nothing. 
And that's the scary things when I think about it now, because some of my friends or some people, they were like, Patrice, you know, school is important. You should have your diploma and stuff. I was like, I want to be a footballer player. But I get in shock when I knew actually playing football, you can win money. I wasn't aware about that. Like when I signed my first contract when I was 17, I didn't care about the money. In that time, it will make you laugh. You know what I was most happy is when I saw my tracksuit on the, on the bed and I wear it and I was looking myself in the mirror and I was, oh my God. And I went downstairs to join the team and I see all the players sitting at the table and people coming to serving them the food. It was like, remember like three fork on one side, <laughs> three <laughs> knife on one side. I call my mom. I say, mom, I'm even like, this is paradise. People serving us the food. I've got like three. Now I've got a tracksuit. We all dress the same. And my mom cried at the phone. I remember that day. <laughs> so, you know, when people ask me, what is your best memory when you play football? That was my best memory. Not winning the Champions League or this is when I was 17. You know, that kid and just, just having food. And a, a normal tracksuit. Make me so happy. And that's my best memory I had since I played football. Because you'd, you'd made it. You'd I made, made it. it that day. I was like, I made it, mama. I won't be in the street anymore. I won't have to survive to fight. I won't have to beg money. So it was just crazy. And even in that time, even some people, they still take advantage because when I signed my first contract, actually I signed a paper with the mafia, the Italian mafia, and I was their pre uh, property. And I didn't doubt, I found out this when, after I wanted to move for IS Roma and IS Roma, we say, we have to call off the deal because you're the property of that man. And it was a guy from the mafia. And actually on that time, I remember when I first, my, my first contract, I was earning, uh, it was like 50 pounds now per month. And we had like five months where they didn't pay us. Uh, I remember my mom and my brother, they come to visit me in Sicily and, you know, a breast chicken, one breast chicken was for three days. We had to cut it like in cube, little cube. I remember she was like twisting in a little bag and that's it. That was for the meal for, sometimes we had only one meal per day, but I was happy. And I remember my mom come to visit me in Sicily and she cried. She said, but what are you doing here? You know, I was like, mommy, I just love football. She was like, but you have nothing. Look where you live. I was, you know, it was like, if you see my first flat, I mean like, they allowed me to live on that flat. It was a disaster. But I was happy because I had football. And every time when I was training or when we played a game, I was scared to the referee to, to blow the final whistle because I was like, what am I going to do now? I'm back to the reality. So for me, playing was... It was just a dream. Hard to imagine. It's hard to 
hard to imagine how how difficult life must be for you to not want the whistle to blow on a on a football game. It's was there a moment where where that changed and where you no longer started to dread the final whistle blowing because your life off the pitch was somewhere to look forward to? It is when I uh, <clears throat> I get rid of those people around me and uh, the, the mafia and uh, I sign with a new agent and uh, I sign for Nice, so I go back to France. A bigger salary. I think I was uh, earning something like uh, 3K per month. So much better life. Be able to even help my mom. And from that moment, I was like, okay, now I'm safe. I'm safe. And after, you know, I signed for Monaco, of course. And I keep my word. I say, you know, when my dad left and in school, they give you like a little money. And my dad was taking this money to send it to Senegal to my other brother and sister. So I remember my sister went after my mom, like, you know, with true lawyers and everything. She get that money from the school and not my dad anymore. My sister get that money and she go to buy like some makeup and everything. I was like, shame on you. Oh, mom, like she feeding us every single day. Like, and why you don't give that money? And I, I say, me, mommy, I don't want anything. This is for you because we're living in your roof. You're feeding us every day. This is for you. No, but Patrice, this is for you. Mommy, I don't need this. And I say, mom, when I'm going to have my big contract, the first things I'm going to do, because that was my motivation, is to buy a house to my mom. And I did it. And I think that was one of the most pride moments of my life because I say it to my mom and I keep my word. And I bought her a house in Senegal before I bought, of course, <laughs> with my money, when I played for Monaco, my Porsche and everything, cars, because I, I like cars. Not now anymore because I understand how stupid it is. But yeah, that was uh, one of my biggest achievements. She must have been proud, right? My mom, uh, my mom cry every time she see me. <laughs> because uh, sometimes she's like, you don't understand. It's many things you don't know, Patrice. Like when we were like alone and no one wanted to help us. And now that's why it's so funny when suddenly you are someone and people, they like your auntie come back or your uncle, but they weren't there when, you know, we need them the most. So she always cries. She said, I'm too nice. But me, I'm like, I don't have any hate in my heart. It's difficult. And uh, Manchester United. I'm a, uh, yeah. I can't, Im <laughs> I can't imagine what that would have been like getting a, getting a call that that's. Uh... But you will laugh. Because before United, I was start being, over, I will call it overconfident and arrogant. I was playing for Monaco. I reached the final of Champions League, <laughs> being named four times in the world, the best left back in the French league, playing for the national team. So I remember my agent came and he said, Patrice, you know, in January, he said, it's like teams, like you have Inter, Liverpool, Manchester United. I said, yeah, cool. I say, and what stuck in my head when he said Manchester United, Cantona. Really? Yeah. Cantona. You know, yeah, yeah, the colours, yeah. Wow. I said, ah, okay, Manchester United, I swear, Cantona, yeah. Because I wasn't following. Really? Yeah, I can tell you something. I, I don't watch football. 
You're supposed to say it's it was something. a childhood dream. Yeah. It was just like, it's just me. I'm playing football. So watching football is like going to work. That's when I was young. But now as a pundit, I have to watch football game. But it's something I never been interested in and it's something I never enjoyed. So I didn't know. Although sometimes I was watching some result, Manchester United, because of Cantona. So I said to me, yeah, okay. He said, you should go to Manchester. I think Manchester suit you. I said, why not? Then uh, we met uh, Sir Alex Ferguson because at that time, you know, I still playing for Monaco, so you can't be approached by another team. You know, you broke the rules. So we met uh, in the airport, <laughs> in the secret room, yeah. <laughs> secret <laughs> room the at the airport. Center, yeah, in the secret Sounds room illegal. in the airport. And that day, that interview was like being interviewed by the FBI. It was like, do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you like to party? Are you ready to not lose one game? Are you ready to not even draw a game? Yes. Sir Alex said that. Yeah, he shake my hands. He said, now you shake my hands. So that's, you know, playing for Man United. Or everything I say, that's what you, you will have to do and all the stuff. Even if some people, they drink and they do many things. But it was about more the winning mentality. And when he shake my hand, he looked straight in my eyes. And when you look straight at his eyes, you make sure you don't disappoint him. So... What I love about Ferguson is that day also, he say, you know, son, we know your background. You know where you come from, but just be yourself. I won't change you. I just want you to bleed for United, for the fan, for the people from Manchester, you know, uh, work ethic. And it was already in my DNA. So when I joined United, I was like, finally, I can be myself. Because even in France, playing for Monaco, when sometime I was saying like, I want to be the best left back or I am the best. Oh, he's too arrogant. Is this? So the French media, they didn't understand me. They were like, you know, he's too arrogant. And I win also the, the youngest French player in the league and normally only striker like Henri Zidane. I was the first defender to win those kind of trophies. So I was like overconfident. So when I joined Manchester and Ferguson tell me all those words, it was a different story. Mm. I was like, finally, I can express myself. Like Cantona say, you know, in France, they will build him a, the guillotine. In Manchester, they will build him a, a statue. Mm. And that's the truth. Because in Manchester, they let you be yourself, you know. Even if, you know, you have to kick a fan or stuff, they will still be behind. They know it's wrong, but you still feel the support. Mm. You still feel you're part of the family. So we're going to accept you, you know, uh, the way you are. And that's what's really important. Even if I think everyone knows the story <laughs> of my first game. I think I said, well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just a crazy, because I, I just came back. I just trained with the team three days. We had a derby against Manchester City. <laughs> Playing at 12. I never played at 12 in my life, apart when I was a kid, but never played at 12. Come for the breakfast, nine. I see Michael Silvestre, Luisad, my, my French teammate, eating beans, you know, pasta. I'm not a good breakfast guy. So I start doing the same, you know. I'm like, okay, in this league, you know, you need to, to eat because it's a strong league. I eat, I feel sick. I went in my room, I vomit. I said, I need to call the doc and you need to say to the manager, I can't play that game. But I was like, Patrice, you just signed. You can't say that again, toxic masculinity. 
They will say, I'm weak. I'm scared. I play. I say, I play. Don't ask me why, you know, in Manchester, it's never sunny. In nine years, I just done like three barbecue <laughs> in nine years. That day was so hot. The <laughs> sun was like on my face. I was like, did I back to Monte Carlo? I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> I remember the first, the first ball, Trevor Sinclair just headbutted me. I was cut straight away. It was like, welcome to England. Welcome to the Premier League. And in one point, one point I was again the post. I remember, you know, when you have those bubble, the cartoon and you've, yeah, you know, man. writing what you think about. I was like, oh my God, what the hell I'm doing here? The football is so fast, so strong. I should have kept chilling in Monte Carlo. <laughs> so, <laughs> losing 2-0 halftime, Ferguson give the air dryer to everyone and he come to me and say, you, now you sit and you learn the English football. So I didn't understand because, you know, I didn't speak very well English and Carlos Carlos was the one like translating. And I put my, you know, the doctor was like cleaning my blood and and I put my, and Carlos Carlos said, no, no, Patrice, it's, it's over, it's finished. Like, you, so imagine me playing for France, best left back, nah, 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 mm. being served after the first 45 minutes. But he, he, he get even worse and worse after that. <laughs> so we lose the game. I back home and my Italian agent with his wife were staying with me in my flat. And my agent looked at me like this. He said, Patrice, I'm sorry. I said, what? He said, I should never book you in Manchester. I'm sorry, you should have stayed in, in Monaco, you know. And his wife on the background looking at me. I promise you, that, that day I was so low. I was like, even my own agent, he don't believe in me anymore. I was like, wow. So after that, I know I play a Liverpool game, a good game. We win 1-0. Rio Ferdinand scored the winning goal and everything. And I had a great game. So he back. But the first six months was really difficult for me and Nemanja Vidic. We came, we arrived at the same time. We even play with the reserve. And we get sub half time again. In the reserve. In the reserve. Imagine me and Nemanja Vidic in the shower. I remember I said, oh, my agent say, you know, I Roma. I will maybe go back in Italy. Vidic was like, okay, I will go to small school also they, they want me back and stuff so all of that my teammates were laughing Rio Wayne Rooney when in the training I was like sleeping and they were like laughing when someone was you know shoulder you they were laughing and I remember one day Paul Scholes when I make it when he respect me he said you know Patrice I, I think you were like a jockey I, I even asked like the boss if he can sell you back to Monaco but for free <sighs> send you back for free yeah and I look at them, you know, all those things, you know, when I saw my teammate laughing when I was not playing a game, he didn't put me down. I was like, I'm going to show them who is the real Patrice. Because it's difficult when you come to a club like, you know, end of January because, you know, you miss half of the season. So after I missed the World Cup, my fellow French teammate, Luisa and Mikel Silvestre, they went to the World Cup 2006. I was fuming. I back to Monaco. I was in the gym all the summer. Uh, I was looking the French national team reaching the final mm. of World Cup, but they lose against Italy. So I was like, okay, I understand the football in uh, in England now. It's like you have to be strong first, then after you can play with your feet. So I get some muscle, everything. I came back to the preseason. We had a preseason in South Africa. I was the man, the the man of the tournament. And I remember Mick Phelan, the second coach, he came and he shake my hand and said, "Now you are United players." From that day, even before the season start. 
I know I will make it and the rest is history. You played in a lot of teams. I sat here with Rio Ferdinand as well. I asked him a very similar question. What was it that made Manchester United achieve the success they achieved? It's, it's so many things. You know, when you say, I can say like the work ethic, the discipline, uh, the passion, the, I think it's also the character, personality. I think Ferguson, he wanted to meet player in person to see if he can feel their character, their personality, if they're going to be ready to, to handle the pressure. Pressure, playing for Manchester, the pressure is a, is a gift, is a privilege. Like, I want to add pressure. Like, I didn't want Ferguson to say, you play a good game. I want Ferguson, like, to give me the air dryer. It was a little bit, like, it's, it's really weird. But I didn't expect any compliment. Like, for me, playing for under Sir Alex Ferguson and Manchester United, I wasn't, I never scared of anyone. I never scared of Sir Alex Ferguson. But I was scared to disappointing him. So it's about respect. What made Manchester United, it was like, I have many coaches that say winning is important, but Ferguson winning in United is normal. Like the goal is to win like four trophy per season. I will, get, I will tell you a story. When we won the Champions League in 2008, exciting, we went on the plane, putting the music loud, you know, dancing. Ryan Giggs looked at me, can, can, you know, can you put this? I was like, hey, we just win the Champions League and the Premier League, yeah, yeah, but you know, we need to sleep, we need to rest. I was like, okay, that's, that's weird. We land. Ferguson, I remember, <laughs> we were on the bus and he take the mic. He said, congratulations. Well done, I'm proud of you to be a champion of Europe. But uh, next year, if you don't want to win it again, I will end many contracts of many players of you if you don't, I don't feel the same passion and the same anger. Now, because he was the Euro 2008, now go and enjoy Having the, and you use the F, the F word with your, with your national team. Boom. No parade, no celebration with the fan. I remember I went home and <laughs> I was with my back. I dropped it. I was like, this is the feeling of winning the Champions League and the league? I was like, wow. But the problem, you become a robot. So you're not even happy when you win the league. The years and years... I was, you know, when we celebrate and uh, it was fake. Inside, it was just pretending. Of course, it's a release, it's an achievement. But because you just become a machine, a robot, winning, that's the only things matter. And that's why it goes to play for Man United, but also sacrifice. You know, when I talk about sacrifice, I'm not shame about you even have to sacrifice your own family. That's what I did. I'll give you an example. You know, my first son, Lenny, he was three years old. And I came back home one day and he was crying. I said, why are you crying? He said, because I hate Manchester United. I said, why? He said, because they, they took my dad away. And you know, the, the United fan, they have a flag where they united kids and wife in that order. I never laugh in that flag. A lot of people laugh. I never. Because that's, that's, the, 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 that's what it caused me to succeed at United. It was mm. United, United. That's why I had a really strong relationship with Ferguson because he knew I don't need Manchester United. I love Manchester United. 
and I could like die for this club and I still could die for this club, for the fan and for any manager. So to play for Manchester United, it costs you your life, your normal life. You, you're part of another family. It's interesting because when you were younger, you had a problem with authority. Exactly. Ferguson is the ultimate authority. I still, in different way, I still, you know, Ferguson, sometimes he shout on me, I was stood up, facing. Like I was like, if you go far, I don't know, I don't guarantee nothing will happen. But it's also, I, was, I wanted to make sure I didn't want to disobey in front of people. This is really important because you always question, you know, the coach if you answer back. And that's why I also say to kids, when the manager talk, you should never answer back in, the, in front of the people. But you can go after. And that's what I was doing with Ferguson. So I tell you one game. We play against Tottenham, winning 2-0 halftime, playing the best game in my life. I promise you, I was like, wow, on fire. Came back in the dressing room, drink some water. People, oh my God, Patrice, you're on fire, everything. <laughs> I sit, Ferguson sit. When he sit and he doesn't speak for... For three minutes or five, like you, you mean like someone is in trouble. I look at him. He look at me. He said, Patrice, you okay? And me, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, boss, yeah. Mm, are you tired? Seriously, I look around if it was like a prank, if it was some camera. And I look Even people were like, what? I say, no. He said, why you pass the ball back to Van der Sar? I say, because I, I didn't have any solution forward and... That was the only pass I passed because I like to play forward. Yes. If you do that again, I will. you will come and watch the, the, the rest of the game next to me. He, and he used many F words. He said, this is the worst game you're playing since you play for Manchester United. That's why I stood up. I was like, what's going on? This is, this is like, this is, he was like, you shouldn't, if you pass the ball back again, I promise you, you will never play for. Injustice. Like I stand up. But I keep my mouth shut. I was biting my lips. Even people, they were in shock. They were scared. Like gigs, everyone was like, what's going on? Came back, second half. We beat Tottenham 4 0, boom, boom, 4 0, and everything. After the game, everyone, oh my God, don't listen to him, Patrice, you were on fire. And yeah, I did my shower quickly. I remember the I couldn't wait to sleep and to come back the next day. Next day, I come. Happen. What is it? I opened the door. Oh, Patrice, how are you, my son? I said, boss, oh, I am? What's happened yesterday? Patrice, you were the best player on the pitch. But you know, Cristiano was start doing some skill. Some player, they were like missing to, uh, chance to score. You know, when you play for Man United, when you score one goal, you have to score a second. When you score a second, you have to score a third goal. You have to respect the people they come to watching. I was like, wait a minute, boss. You were the best player, my son. Ali, get out of my office. FFC. I want <laughs> French FC. Uh, and he was like whistling, singing and laughing. Then I came out of the office. I was like, actually, you know, I could take the, the, the fire. He wanted to send a message to the other player. To Cristiano. Cristiano and many of the players to keep focus and to respect Tottenham. But he, he picked 
the best player on the pitch to send that message. Automatically, or the other player, they were like, if he's killing the best player in the pitch, <laughs> we better. <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about managing. That's Fergie. <laughs> you had a bust up with Fergie in 2007. Yeah. When he didn't play you. Oh, yeah. He promised he'd play you, then didn't play you. Oh, yeah. Is uh, This was, uh, and even now, and even I'm going to see him uh, uh, on Saturday, I never ask him the real reason. So it's simple. I've played every cup game, FA Cup game. I've been named the best left back in the Premier League. It was like, you know, competition with me and Enzo, but I, I play more game and... Anyway, the final, before the, the day before the final, he did the team. No, he come. We were walking with Carlos Carrios. And it was, unfortunately, an article on the, um, on the paper and a big title in the sun. And it was like, Patrice Evra, ex-drug dealer, uh, gangster, and a first page. Wow. You know what they did? They went to my, where I grew up, they question many of my friends. And all of my friends, they say, yes, here, you know, we were fighting, you know, doing this. And, you know, and they say, but Patrice is an example for us because he made it. So that paper used that telling, oh, I was a gangster and everything. So it was a front page. And the day before the game, Ferguson, we were walking, going to train. And he said, uh, oh, Patrice, uh, we need to talk. You know, I said, what's the matter, boss? He said, you know, the, the Glazer, the owner, they called me and, uh, you know, for the club, for the image of the club, you know, an ex-gangster and stuff is, you know, it's no good. I think I won't play you tomorrow. I was like, but boss, he, no, I'm joking. And he was kind of like too curious. Oh, I got him. You know, he was scared. No, no, don't worry. <laughs> we train the first 11 on the team. Everything perfect. <laughs> the, the day of the game in the morning, I like to put music. I remember and uh, Ferguson allowed you also to order your breakfast in the room. You don't need to go downstairs and dancing. Tak, tak, tak. I said, okay, I think it's the room service. Open the door. So Alex Ferguson, he said, son, uh, I'm going to put you in the bench. And they're going to start. But you know what? I know you're going to win the game for us. You know, it's really warm. Wembley. You're going to come in. I need some speed, some fresh. You're going to win the game. I know you're disappointed. I said, I am very disappointed. He said, I know, I know, son, but trust me. And he tapped, he left. So I remember after 10 minutes, he asked me to warm up. We weren't playing well. I warmed up for 80 minutes. It was even like the smoking. Like I was like, first of all, I was really angry and I was like running like crazy mad because I needed like, you know, they all this frustration has to come out. We lost one nil against Chelsea. I remember we went to take all the medal. I take it, I throw it on the grass. Ferguson checked, tried to shake my hand. I didn't shake his hand. So first, first time in my life, I just respect him. Uh, my agent was there. Why you don't play? I said, go to ask your manager. People from Manchester, are you injury, Patrice? No, go to ask your manager. I say to my agent, I, I need to go. I don't want to play for my United anymore. Find me a club. No, Patrice, I need to go. I don't want to play for my United anymore. Uh, it was the party. Everyone was like with the family and stuff. I wasn't smiling. And uh, three days later, Ferguson called me and he said, 
Patrice, I'm sorry I should have played you. Uh, I hope uh, you're not too upset. And uh, and because he told me that, I automatically forgive him, but I still don't know the reason, especially what's happening in the paper and mm. the joke. Mm. And I never asked him the reason. But yeah, I was, uh, that's that's it. That's what I was, I don't want to play for United anymore. Are you going to ask him? No, because I'm someone, you know, I know he see a lot of my interview and my stuff and even watch my video. So maybe he's going to tell me one day, but I, I don't ask, I don't ask people. I, I just like to people, they are free. If they want to say something about something, they just tell me, I don't like to ask people. Does it bother you? Uh, when I talk about it, just think like, yeah, but not really because at the end, the rest of my career for United and the love I've got for this man, you mm. know, is history. So no, but it's just like, again, my past. <clears throat> Maybe my past cost me, you know, my starting 11, but. Forgiveness. The topic of forgiveness. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Suarez. Suarez. Um in an altercation on the pitch, he called you Negrito. I was watching that game, which is a um, offensive word for um, a black person. That incident was a um, was a bit of a media circus, wasn't it? Yeah, but I will never expect that because, uh, so like you say, and uh, he called me, and unfortunately for him, I, I speak uh, Spanish, and I say. What did you say? And he said again, the N-word. And he said, anyway, I don't speak with uh, any N, the N-word. So I remember in that time, I was like, this is this is when I was like also proud of myself because I was talking to myself. Should I punch him? But Patrice, this is a Liverpool, Manchester. All the kids are watching this game. Oh, it's, people won't understand. So... I promise you, this, I had an amazing first half. The second half, I was just like, it was a process talking to myself, don't do it. You know, when you have like a, the devil and an angel, don't do it, do it, don't do it, do it. All the game, I wasn't in the game. And I play okay, it was fine, we draw. And after the game, I just sat and Ferguson saw me and he was like, Patrice, uh, what's the matter? You know, you had a good game, what's the matter? I said, no, uh, David De Gea said, Suarez called him uh, a Negrito. I was like, Patrice, let's go. Take me, we went to the referee, the referee. We tell him he take note. But it, by the way, even in the on the pitch, I said to the referee, Did you hear what he just said? He called me with the N-word. Come on, Patrice. He called me with the N-word. Play, play, play. We're gonna deal with that later. Because <laughs> I forget to always mention that. And it's long time, and every interview, I never say that. And that referee, we're gonna deal with that later. Really? He called you that? Yes, he did. Okay. So we went to the official, we tell him, he said, yeah, yeah, Patrice told me about that. So he was aware. So Ferguson, like, kill him. So you were aware and why you didn't send him off? And, yeah, okay, we're going to deal with that. And, you know, to the English Federation. So the next day, boom, front page. Uh, Suarez, you know, racially abused Patrice Evra. Well, I didn't expect that. So I don't know how possible I start to become a liar. I start to become people in jail in Liverpool send many letters of they're going to kill me when they're going to come out of jail. Uh, people start following me with my car. 
I had uh, for three months, uh, 24 hours like security. But can I be honest with you? Uh, my brothers and my family, they were like scared, but I was like, guys, we don't need that because I'm from the streets. So come on, we don't need protection. But the threat were real. That's why my United, they say, Patrice, even if you don't need that, we need. So for, for three months, like 24 hours and everything. So unbelievable. But the worst part is when uh, we watch a game with all the players in Ferguson and we saw the Liverpool player came out with that shirt and support Luis Suarez. And the worst part, he was like, he get banned. So it's not like they do it when, before he get the ban. He get banned because after he lies, he say, you know, in my country, we use the word, like, I know they use Nero, but no Negrito. Negrito is the N word. Nero is the color. And even I always say to people, you don't have to call me by my color. My mom give me a name. I don't need to be anywhere. So the, with the camera, they could see with his lips, like he said the, the N word. And they support him. And he was Kevin Daglish. I remember I hate so much Kevin Daglish to let this happen that day. And the karma, he gets sacked after one month after that game. So I did a, a, a TV show with uh, Jamie Carragher. And uh, I promise you, I, Jamie, like, you know, we, we start talking and he said, Patrice, I just would like to apologize about what's happening nine years ago. What we have done is wrong. I was in shock. So, so I didn't expect that. I was like, wow, okay. He said, we didn't know, you know, the club tell us to do that. And, and after that, I received like letter from the owner of Liverpool, uh, emails saying like, we more, we saw you more than welcome here and everything. You can feel home. I, said, I will never feel home when I go to Liverpool. <laughs> Thank <one>. you for that. <laughs> but it was so nice. And I know many of my friends, they were like, Patrice, uh, um, you should uh, you should forgive them. I say, guys, it's never it's never too late, and I don't have any hate. And I and I keep saying I can't call Luis Suarez a racist because I don't know him close enough to call him that way. But in that day, he used some racist word, and it get even worse for him when about the handshake. That's when I was like, okay, it's a disgrace. Because even when I called my mom, and my mom said, the way you Patrice, you should forgive. And I remember that game was one of the most, like, topic was the handshake. Mm. It wasn't even About Liverpool, game, Manchester. Derby, yeah. That's I when I see, like, it was bigger than, the, that That things was bigger than the game. Mm. And when I put, and he didn't, I was like. You put your hand out, he didn't yeah. shake it. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to kill him now. <laughs> I remember that game. I even take a Rio Ferdinand, you can see, because I wanted to, to catch Suarez, but he jumped. So I take, like, Rio Ferdinand. And it's that picture when Rio Ferdinand, you know, he looked like he's broken his neck because I wasn't wanting to play the game. I just wanted to kill him. Hmm. And I have one story also. After all those episodes, one day I was walking in the Manchester in Dinsgate and uh, my brother said, oh, it's Luis Suarez over there. I was with two of my brother. I look at him. I was like, that's it. This is the moment. And he walked. And behind him, I saw his kid and his wife. And we, and I turned my back. I was like, if you do something to him, you can't do this in front of his family. So I don't regret it because I think it will end up bad. And I didn't do nothing that day. I saw him when we play against uh, Barcelona with Juventus in the final. I was talking with Neymar. He passed, he come, he shake my hands. Say, you okay? I said, I'm okay, you're okay. 
so no beef, but we definitely no going to going holiday mm. <laughs> in our life. But yeah. Have you forgiven him? Yeah. But yeah. because like I say, that's when now we, I want to talk a little bit about the racism. And uh, like I say to people, it's about education. No one born as a racist person. And you know, when you, when the football now, they ban people when they have those racist comments or, I don't think this is the solution. Because if you ban someone, you put him, I know he's really sensitive, but you put him in a box, you don't resolve the matter. And even that person will even become more racist and feeling more rejected. But where I come from, I've got friends, they're not ashamed to tell me, Patrice, I've got black friends and everything, but my daughter or my, my uh, son will never be with a black person because my dad or my granddad will never accept it. So that's why I understand, you know, racism, you need to fight with your own parents. It's nothing to do is about religion. When it was the Paris attack, uh, everyone started to blaming the Muslim people. Islam, uh, I did a post. I was on the plane. I say, you know what? And uh, by the way, I grew up as a Catholic, but if you ask me what is your best religion right now is to be the best human being I can. I'm not a Catholic, I'm not a Muslim, but I can pray with Jewish people, with Muslim people, uh, Buddha, everything, because I respect every religion. But now the religion, my religion is to be the best human being I can. Then I did that post when I say, I think it's not time to, to spread your anger, your, you know, is when you should pray for the people we lost. And by the way, I read the Quran, Islam is such a beautiful religion, it's about love and everything. So I really, be- and it came from my heart. And I feel like I had to do it. My dad called me. What you doing? You know, you don't know them. They are terrorists and everything. I said, Dad, this is your opinion, but it's not mine. He put the phone down. We didn't speak for two weeks. He called me after two weeks. He said, I'm sorry. Say, wow, you're a man now. You stood to your own opinion. I said, yes, Dad, and... I won't change it like you can't because one person do something, then all the people are the same. So that's why I like to give this example because sometimes you have to stand up against your, you know, your own, your own father, even if you're scared of him. Because those people, the racist doesn't come like because they just become racist, it's because they've been taught. Mm. So if we want to change something, it's about the education, you know, and I have enough people pretending they want to fight against the racism. <laughs> and I will talk about massive like football industry. I give the example of the, that stupid Super League. <laughs> Super League, yeah. A project, that project didn't even start. We shut down that project in 24 hours. Oh, I remember I watched on TV, my ex-teammate, the Pondetti, shouldn't the fan fighting, burning things. Like I was like, wow, I was watching. I was like, oh my God. They are so unique, determinate. The president of the, the FIFA, Tokyo, the UEFA, FIFA. Oh, they are snake, those uh, owners and stuff. Like, wow, we should. But I was like, but why we don't have the same determination when we talk about racism, and especially in football? Players getting abused every single game. But we don't stop. So don't pretend you want to do it when you don't. But the real reason, and me, I'm straight, and maybe I'm irritated certain person, that Super League, you were touching their pocket. Racism? 
it's not about money. Everyone like, you don't care. Play on. You know, like even social media. I'm someone, I am on social media. I don't want any help from Instagram, uh, from Facebook for everything. Because you can delete your comment, you can like block people, everything. And anyway, when I have racist comment, I will do a nice video when I'm eating a banana and things because it really like, when I was 70 years old, people were throwing real banana in my face when I was playing. So it's not like someone behind his computer gonna affect me, but this is Patrice. Mm. Other people, they're gonna read comment about them. They're gonna even suicide, you know, when we're talking about the mental health. So you have to explain me one thing. When it's about the COVID-19, you get a flag straight away. But when it's about the races, like sometimes you feel like those social media, they just let the, the race, they spread the races on, on, the, on, the, on their own platform. So stop pretending. If you want to do something, let's do it. But I know until, you know, money is not involved, things will be difficult to be changed. Yeah kick the races. They asked me to put the shirts. Many times I go to the woman, I didn't put that shirt because I don't, it's fake. They, they asked me like to say no to the races in front of the camera. Many players respect no to races. But the player, they don't, they don't even care because they just, uh, they tell them to say that. Mm. Come, teach to people races, saying those words. Now you, I say silence is a crime because people lose their life because of that, you know? You said your religion was to live a good life. No, to be the best human being to I be can. To be your best human being you can. Um, how do you define that now? Uh, what does that mean? It means to, uh, to be kind to people, to be kind to the universe, uh, to make the world a better place, um, to help people. To, to, like, I'll be honest with you now, and I say that not to make myself looking good. When I do a video and I see a comment, someone say, oh, Patrice, my dad passed away. I watch one of your video and I smile. Thank you. This is more important for me than win the Champions League or the Premier League. Because this touched my heart. You know, like I said, I play football, yeah. But my big, also one of my biggest achievements, and I don't want to talk about it to spread it, but it's when I opened my two shelters in Senegal, more than 400 kids. And I remember the day when I went there and they were singing for me because I give them food and, you know, school and everything. That's when I'm like, ah, now I know why I'm on earth. Not just to kick a ball around. That's it. That's why I say people, they, I'm like an iceberg. You know, I like to use that. That example, because I think people didn't see the real Patrice. And, you know, many managers, they named me captain of the, you know, I remember the first time like Ferguson say you're going to be the captain and Rio was still playing gigs and Wayne Rune and a lot of people. I was like, the, the French guys from the street is the captain of the biggest club, you know, in the world. But because they know that culture of sharing, leadership, not being selfish, all of that, this is me. And one thing that changed because of my woman is I'm taking care of myself now. I also want to be happy because before, if the world is happy, if you are happy, this makes me happy. But now Patrice also, sometimes he takes his time. Like I had like, can you believe in the last two years I have just one holiday? To tell you like even now, I'm retired, but I'm more busy than when I used to play. But 
for the first time, I turned my phone off for a week. And it was just amazing. Because I don't allow to do that because I've got things to do. I've got people to take care of. For the first time I take care of myself, it was just magic. Like my woman just wanted to lock me down in that island and didn't want me to coming back. And I won't be able to do actually this <laughs> podcast today. So, <laughs> so we did it. I come back to reality. But yeah, this is tell you like I just, I, I it's not just want to be good. I just want to be myself. And, you know, I never, I had one, one problem is like, I still like to fight. So this is like from, from where I grew up. So sometimes my woman teach me like, don't use your fist. You know, again, on my book, when I kicked that fan and people compare me to Eric Cantona, but it wasn't my, you know, my goal in Marseille, but it's because this guy said like, stop, you know, like talking like a monkey. And anyway, when we go back, we're going to cut the throw of your kids. And I am a human being. And that's why people forget sometimes football players, they think we are like robots, but no, we are, we got feeling. When he did that, he came down. So I, I kick him, I get uh, eight months ban. Uh, I think 80K or fine, or I don't remember. So I'm not perfect and I don't want to be perfect. I want to be me. Some people, I am an example for them, but I don't want, it's not like I want to be an example for anyone. I just want to be me. If I inspire people, then perfect. You are an iceberg. You're definitely an iceberg, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> And uh, this book definitely uh, reveals the, the rest of the iceberg that doesn't sit above the water. And uh, as, a, as someone, as I said, that's watched you on screen for many, many decades and has seen you more recently on, online and as a pundit on TV, I would never have guessed the sort of complexity and backstory that, um, that you have. And your sort of, you know, it's an interesting word to use, but your, your vulnerability, let's say, in sharing all of that, I think will do more good than you'll ever realize because it, it opens the door for other people to share. And as we said, it creates a safe space for men, young men, men that come from where you come from, men like me to also share. And in sharing, we liberate ourselves. That tends to be what happens. And then we, we are, we have permission to live a, a more free life because, because of that. So I want to thank you for that. I think that's uh, one of the most um, amazing things you can do. And you've done that with this book and, um, on behalf of everybody that has the chance of reading it and I hope everybody does go and read it. Um, thank you. No, oh, th thanks to you, to having me and to also some emotion, you know, you, you bring out some emotion. I didn't know one and I did many interview when I'm doing my book tour and question like you asked me today. And it's really, I trust you the way I've, I've been honest and no, thank to you because I'm already feeling better. And that's why I hope like every people and every kids, they have the chance to, to read my book. And, you know, if they are like those issues to, to come out, it's not easy. You know, it's mm. easy for me to tell them, please come out, but trust someone, trust someone. And trust me, you is a massive, like things I've got in my chest for so many years. And for me, like I say to my mom traveling and she was just devastated and sometimes she still send me some voice notes. She's crying because she could still don't understand. So don't keep it. Don't keep it. Tell it to your parents. Tell it to your brother or your sister. I've got 24 brothers and sisters and I didn't even tell that to any one of them. So be yourself, enjoy your life, live the present and be good to the universe. That's a beautiful ending. <laughs> I have 
just one more question for you. And this is a question, this is a new tradition we've started, Patrice, yeah. where the previous guest on this podcast leaves a, a question for the next guest. So the previous guest left a question for you and you're going to leave a, a question for the next guest as well. And I'm going to find out what that question is because I've not actually read it yet. Okay, here we go. Name three people, oh. dead or alive, that you would have dinner with tonight if you could. My mom, my woman, and you. <laughs> oh, that's an, a tremendous honor. Yeah. Why me? Because, because the way you, many things came out and, and you're an interesting person and I feel energy and I feel your soul and you're a good soul and I can see you're doing all of this because you want to make the world a better place. And, you know, when you surrendered around people like you, you just improve. And that's what I want to, you know, sometimes I'm like, don't surrender about negative people. Help them also to understand why they are negative. But your, your energy, you're really curious. I can feel it. You're going deep. You want to understand the reason why, because it's easy to, to did the book I have to, but I wanted someone who was able to ask me the reason hmm. why. And that's what I, you know, I can have a conversation and we can have a dinner and we're going to talk about a lot of things and I really, about the toxic, you know, masculinity. Yeah. So that's why I pick you. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to organize that dinner. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out um, for sure. Because I, I feel the same way. And as I'm still kind of early on that journey of understanding my ego and to toxic masculinity and how it stands in my way, the more men that I can speak to like yourself that have been on that journey and started to learn lessons, the better it will be for myself selfishly. But hopefully that's, uh, you know, and I think, you know, the, the, the good, I think we've just done talking about that today. And it's funny because I, I know some of the people that listen to this and where they listen to it because they tag me yeah. and they are men that are driving eight hours on a Monday morning up and down the country in big vans. They are builders on building sites that want to be entrepreneurs and just, again as we've done on this podcast creating that safe space where we can talk yeah. about feelings and crying and your emotions and communicate communicating what's going on in your life oh it's the most important service i think we can do to men yeah. um so i hope we can carry on that conversation and i'm <laughs> going to be pestering your peer to organize this dinner perfect um, man gonna pass you the book to write a question for my next yeah. guest but thank you so much it's been an absolute honor honestly wow. it's been an absolute honor and you're a you're even more of a role model to me than you have been for the last 20 years. And that's been, that's hard to beat. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky 
and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.